It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. When I saw a post on Facebook about Laura Smack finding out her quilt had been in the Let It Snow Hallmark Christmas movie, I reached out to find out more about her. We had so much fun together. Since the time of her quilt being in the movie, Laura and her twin sister, Lisa, has started the quilt pattern company, Material Girlfriends. Laura, thanks for joining me on A Quilter's Life. I am so happy to get to spend this time with you. Paula, it's great to be able to chat together, especially about quilting. There can't be anything more fun than talking about what we love. Mm-hmm. Let's start with where were you born and raised? I was born in Walnut Creek, California. I have a twin, so I was not born alone. So just five minutes later, my sister was born. And we were both raised in this valley. So our childhood was spent in Pleasanton, California. Being five minutes older through the years, did that seem to matter at times? Did you always seem like the older of the two? Oh, heck yeah. I never let her forget I was the oldest and the bossy one. Now, we have two brothers that are also twins, and they were three years younger than we were. So she also had someone to lord it over. But I was the eldest. I was the leader of the pack, you might say. I was responsible for getting us in trouble for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) We had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. My sister and I are identical, but my brothers are fraternal. Interesting. That is really neat. I wonder how that was for your mom, having the two, <laughs> two separate types of twins. That She does not remember much about our early childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of feed the baby, change the baby, burp the baby, then get right on to the next one. And of course, when you have two little three-year-olds that are just crying as loud as the newborn, she says, All she could do was tend to the one with the greatest need. And so that was how she moved forward until we got old enough to actually be a lot of fun. And then we were a three-ring circus for pretty much most of our childhood. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a special childhood memory? We played together a lot. Because there were four of us and we were fairly close in age, I had one brother that I always tended, and Lisa had one brother that she always tended, but we laughed a lot in our childhood. My dad was a firefighter, and so he would be able to take vacation time, and because firefighters work 24-hour shifts, you have a longer period of time off. So if he organized his time off and traded a couple days, we could be gone for almost an entire month of camping during the summertime. So we would be home for maybe two weeks We would do laundry, get groceries done. Dad would work his two days, and then we'd be off again and be camping up and down the West Coast of the United States. Our favorite areas were the Northwest and Oregon. Mostly we liked the North, so we would go north or to Pinecrest out in that area. Have fun. Still to this day, love a road trip. It's just like, you want to go? Yeah, let's go. And I'm ready to pack it up, get in the car and ready just to watch the miles go by as you stared out the window. 
Uh-huh. I'm just picturing the road trips we went on, and my dad always found those stuckies. Did they have stuckies when you were on your road trip? No. Okay. Dad would pull into a gas station to fill up, and he would get us comic books. And so there'd be four new comics books every road trip, and we would all trade our comic books as we drove down the road. We went to Yellowstone and Yosemite and some of the great national parks. But, you know, sometimes we just like the little places like Gray Eagle. We love to go. We love playing outside. I'm sure mom didn't love the dirt we brought back in, but we always had a good <laughs> Well, besides your quilting career, did you have other employment? I am actually an interior designer. So my education, I have a Bachelor of Science degree in architectural interior design with an emphasis in color analysis or color psychology. So I did interior design or personal color analysis or even color analysis for homes before I did quilting. And how long did you do that? See, I did the interior design up until my first daughter was born. And then I did the color analysis for probably 10 years while they were growing up because it was a very flexible job to be able to have. The funny thing is that my twin got her degree in graphic arts. And it wasn't until 2000 that we started doing the quilt patterns, realizing that our careers are both of our different directions that we had gone even though they were both very art-oriented, actually created a fabulous team for our business. That's so cool. Now, you lived close to where you grew up, but you moved away and came back, I believe. Can you tell me about that? Let's see. My husband and I have been married 32 years now, and we are on our 10th home. So we did move around quite a bit. He's in the video game industry, and so we've moved from Los Angeles to Utah, up to Washington, Canada. We lived in the British Columbia area as well as the Montreal. And then once he decided to go as a freelance consultant, we were able to move back home to the Bay Area, California, where we are in need by our aging parents. They uh, just needed a little more assistance. So we moved back to the family home, which is in Clayton here, to help Kelly's dad, my husband's dad. Nice. That's so needed. Is there anything else you want to share about your family? I just have the two daughters, the husbands I've been married to for 32 years. I've had Karen Terrier dogs for 30 years as well. That's about it. We moved a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? Scrapbooking. That's the only other one that I did. Once our photos went digital, I didn't print them out as often. So I didn't make photo albums as often. And by that time, I had shifted into quilting. And both are expensive hobbies. So I really (laughs) couldn't afford to do or choose to do any other ones. So that was besides hiking, the quilting and the scrapbooking is about all I do. I usually ask about other hobbies. That would be more like the hiking or the gardening or anything like that? Well, I would not say I have a green thumb, that's for sure. I could keep my yard alive, but it's nothing extravagant. (laughs) It's it's more of an enjoyable chore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, California is harder to keep a yard alive anyway. 
Well, uh, right now we've got rain and all those weed seeds that have remained dormant are now springing forth. So it's like, oh, no, it's time to get out there and weed. Oh, no. Do you think any part of your scrapbooking lent to your quilting hobby? I would say scrapbooking can be rather linear. It's also very creative. You can cut out a flower in paper and you can cut out a flower in fabric. So they relate quite a bit. There were times when I would think that, wait a minute, I thought I had a fabric that was a yellow check, et cetera, but really it was paper I was remembering. So my brain would still enjoy all of the visual texture and color of both art forms, in essence. Mm-hmm. Who introduced you to quilting? Well, that's a funny story. So for most of our adult life, my sister and I have lived about a thousand miles apart. And we were living in Fall City at this time in Washington. And I had a friend, Inger, who invited me to go to a Tuesdays with Terry block of the month class. And we were working with 30s fabric. Well, I was so excited because I've sewn before. I made little smocked dresses for my girls. Well, Emily came home from third grade saying, I don't want our dresses anymore. And I was kind of like, well, what are you going to wear to school tomorrow? Because that's all you have. So all of a sudden, I had no craft in essence. And so Inger was the one who first introduced me to quilting. Meanwhile, my sister, unbeknownst to me, a thousand miles away in California, went to a Saturday samplers class that was also working with 30s fabrics. And she went to this class with her friend Ingrid. So we found this out because I had called my mom all excited. And at that time, they had call waiting. They didn't have smartphones. So if you had someone calling in while you were on another line, it would do this little blink blink. And invariably, Lisa and I would always call mom about the same time. So I had called mom. Lisa blink blinks into it. And we're both trying to chat to mom about this new quilting class that we were going to with Inger or Ingrid Tuesday night or Saturday sampler. And mom was getting so confused as she would flip from one to the other going, wait a minute, who's doing what? (laughs) And so even though we went with different girlfriends, we both started quilting at the same time. It was just another one of those odd twin things. Do you have a favorite quilt? I read that on your little list and I've actually thought of, you know, if the house were burning down, which one would I grab first? And it was, you know. I really don't have a favorite quilt. You know, my current one is my current favorite. And then I'll do another one. And that one's my new favorite. The one I have right now that I'd probably rip off the wall and run out the door with is one that is I call Material Girlfriends. But it is from a book, How a Quilter is Peace. And it's an odd type of paper piece. But it's quilters in the process of doing different quilting tasks. And then after 10 years, I finally got it finished and quilted for our little local quilt show this past August. And so that one is the one that I would say is probably my favorite right now. But it does change. It changes from month to month, I swear, sometimes. (laughs) Do you have a tool when you are quilting that you are just so happy to have? Yes, I am a (laughs) scissor-aholic. I love my sewing shears. I have a couple pair that are my absolute favorite. And so when I was thinking, well, if the house is burning down, what quilt would I grab? The first thing I would actually grab are my scissors. I have a pair from 
World War II that were my grandmother's and they don't have the chromium on the handle. They're a very dull metallic and they were also a ginger scissor. I have a pair of porcelain leopard print ones that were from my mother-in-law when she had passed away. I've got a pair of red, white, and blue enameled hands ginger scissors that were when I was living in Canada and as an expat. So I was an American, darn it. So <laughs> I had my American scissors. So I have lots of favorite scissors. I had taken them to be sharpened. I would probably have my face plastered against the window waiting for them to finish because I have such precious pairs of scissors. But I brought over 12 pairs for him to sharpen and ranging in different sizes. Wow. And they will be scattered all over the sewing room. And I'll still go, where do my scissors go? <laughs> Hopefully you have a sign letting others know not to use them. When I leave and I know that I have house guests in my house, I will set out the crafting paper scissors and put away all of my nice scissors. I make sure that if they're looking for scissors, I have kitchen shears available. I have scissors upstairs sitting out just to make sure that my good ones don't get used. Yeah. My sister-in-laws will come and stay with my father-in-law when we're out of town. And they all craft as well. And so if they need a pair of scissors, I like to have a pair available. I just want to be sure it's not my good pair. Yeah. When you're working on your quilts, do you have a favorite part of the process or do you like the whole thing? No, I love quilting the quilt. I will be thinking on how to quilt the quilt as I start the quilt. My sister does 95% of the design work of our pattern company and she uses the computer. She plans it out. She's very technically oriented. If it's complex, Lisa designed it. If it's stupid, simple, I designed it because I want to get that quilt top finished so I can get it on the long arm. And I especially love having white space so I can really have some fun playing in it. Now, to me, quilting the quilt can make or break the quilt. Its purpose is to emphasize the pattern and draw you to the crisp designed lines. And yet then I want your eye to discover the quilted lines almost secondary so that it continues to draw your attention. So that's my goal when it comes to quilting the quilt. And I will design a quilt 10 ways a Sunday as I'm piecing it before I even get it to the long arm. And then I'll decide on how I'm going to quilt it. Well, all that thought into it. What a blessing how you compliment your sister with that, you know, her design and your quilting. That's amazing. We're what's called mirror image twins. It's when there's that egg splits very late in the process and there's a reversal that happens. So I'm left-handed, Lisa's right-handed. I have a calic that goes one direction. Her calic goes the other. She does all the graphics and computers and loves to start the quilt. I love the colors and the visual texture and the quilting of the quilt and the, the finishing of the quilt. So it really does, it takes the two of us to be one quilter. How cool. It is so neat. Tell me about your worst quilting experience. Uh, I used to quilt for hire just before COVID all hit. And I had a customer quilt. The design is one of our patterns and it is called Christmas Morning Delight. And it has a Christmas tree in an applique in the center. And the Christmas tree is bending over and it has a star that is entertaining the baby Jesus in a manger scene in the manger. 
And I usually draw a rays of light, like from the Star of David, up and above from a viewpoint. But I'll pre-mark those with a water erasable fabric pen so that I can get my lines nice and straight and then they disappear. What the problem was is that when I misted the fabric so that the pen disappeared, the moisture from the top of the quilt went to the back side of the quilt and where those stitch lines were, it caused the batik to bleed to the front where those beautiful rays of light from the Star of David over the baby Jesus manger. And it was like, no! And so even though there was no bleeding fabric on the top, that batik that bled from the backing was what was the issue. We were able to get it out, but it still causes me to shudder because it wasn't my quilt. It was somebody else's that I was quilting for them, which makes everything doubly worse. I was thinking 10 times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could just imagine how your heart sank with that. Oh, it did. It did. Because, you know, it was all done. Had it laying out on the carpet. I missed it away that last little bit of the blue lines. And then I turned away and then when I turned back it was like oh what is that (laughs) why do you think you make quilts rather than spending your time on a different craft or hobby I know that there's a lot of different crafts etc that are very creative I think quilting encompasses so many of my loves and talents It's something I could work on with Lisa, my twin. We have so much fun together. And quilting is a craft that I not only create, but I create patterns for. It's the color textiles from my interior design background that I'm pulling into. It's the linear art and graphics of even the scrapbook quilting that I used to do. It is the ability to go to quilt shows and have a product and talk and teach, which I also have a love of teaching. So doing workshops. So it really does encompass so many of my passions other than just making a quilt and, you know, putting it on a bed or giving it as a gift. Mm -hmm. Because the last thing I need is another quilt. (laughs) (laughs) And who do you usually make them for? My girls don't need any more quilts either, but both my daughters, Emily and Rachel, they usually get first pick or first right of refusal. (laughs) (laughs) I will also make gifts for family. They do appreciate the work and time and money that goes into it. My quilts have a personal guarantee that as soon as it wears out, I promise to make them another one. And so last year around this time, I just finished a, a king size quilt for my brother and his wife, Sue. Because the quilt I made them wore out. Sue had asked if I could repair a few pieces that were threadbare. And I was like, Sue, this thing's a rag. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) So I made them a new quilt. And we'll work on one for their son, Jake, who also I had made a quilt for. And it's just worn out. But we've been quilting for over 20 years. And so some of those early quilts have just, you know, if you use them every day as a bed quilt, they are beginning to show their wear. Cotton is a natural fiber. And if it's going to rot on your bed, it'll rot in the closet. And I'd much rather have it being used than being stored away. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear the background of your story on how your quilt ended up in a Hallmark movie. When we lived in Canada, 
we lived in a little town called Fort Langley in uh, British Columbia. Now, British Columbia has a very large movie industry. The movie industry, because you're using Canadian dollars versus American dollars, you're getting 20% more for what your investment dollar in a movie production can actually purchase. Now, the little town of Fort Langley has been used for lots of movies. You can drive downtown and you go, oh, my gosh, that how, that building's been, that one, that little library. You can point out every other building, and it's been in a movie. We were living in a new complex where I had a 6,000-square-foot house, and it was on an acre and a quarter. Now, when they make movies, you think, okay, there's the camera, there's the producer, there's a light guy, there's a sound guy. That's it right now. I would say there's probably 15 extra staff for every actor that you would see in a movie, at least, that would be there on the set. So when they want to use a portion of your house in order to have the movie or just that room scene taped, well, the support staff, they take a lot of space and there's trailers and there's trucks. So when they look for a place to film, it's not just they need your kitchen. They also need a place for all of the support people to also be. And so since we had a nice large property, it was a relatively new one, a location scout actually came and knocked on the door and asked if we were interested. Now, the British Columbia movie industry also has a great reputation for being very kind and careful of your homes. And they also paid really nicely per day. So there'd be a day to set up, a day they would film, and a day to clean up. They always left the house in better condition than when they borrowed it, in essence. So any little bump, nick, broken piece, et cetera, was always fixed or paid for. And so we've had two different films filmed in our house. And the first one, they just mostly needed the kitchen. The second one, they needed two bedrooms. Well, when they were filming the two bedrooms, it was Christmas time. So I had my house completely decorated. And of course, being a quilter, you, of course, you're going to decorate with your quilts. Well, six months later in the summertime, a props director gave me a call and asked if she could buy or borrow some of my quilts because they were filming a Christmas movie and she was having a hard time finding props. And so I told her I wasn't interested in selling the quilts, but I would be happy to rent them. And if they got dirty, just give them back to me dirty. I'll take care of having them cleaned or anything. No worries. There was one quilt that I had purchased from Costco before I had quilted. That was also a Christmas quilt. And she went ahead and purchased that one. But my other quilts, they were just borrowed. But I had no idea what movie it was in. The movie industry, they just tend to do code names while things are being filmed so that they wouldn't have the groupie followers, in essence, trying to follow a television series or et cetera. So they don't really tell you what movie it's going to be in until maybe after the fact. If I cared, I might have remembered, but I had no idea. At that time, we really didn't watch movies very often. My girls were late in high school and early in college. So they mostly studied or they had friends over that would play video games or we watched hockey. It wasn't really on our radar to watch Hallmark movies. So it wasn't until this past Christmas that I saw a Facebook posting of my quilt. Someone was asking for the pattern. I was floored. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's my quilt. And it was sitting on my lap. It was half on my lap and the dog was sitting on it. Of course, it's Christmas quilt. I only pull it out, you know, once a year. 
So I took another picture and posted it for her to see. And I posted what pattern it was I had used at that time. But 10 years, 10 years later, it was so funny because I had forgotten. You know how you kind of get that stunned blink, blink, blink. What is, what is she doing with my quilt? That's my quilt. <laughs> and it drops a little bit and your head cocks to the side. <laughs> so the, the little brain cells rub together and the memory comes forth. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> So at that point, she was able to tell you what movie it was in? Yes, at that point, she told me it was in Let It Snow. It was a Hallmark movie. Of course, we had never seen it. I don't even have the Hallmark channel. And so I had asked my mom, who does have it, if she would record it for me. We were supposed to see it on the 28th of December. I think it was a Tuesday. But my girls were in town and there were so many activities going on. We weren't able to sit down and watch it with her, but we still do intend to actually watch the movie, identify all the quilts within it. (laughs) That is so fun. I think we had it posted, but did you want the pattern name for that movie quilt? What was the name of that? The pattern is in a book called 40 Fabulous Quick Cut Quilts by Evelyn Sloppy. And it was called Fall Frolic, and it's on page 64. Okay, great. Yep, because I know that that was a search when she was looking for the name of that pattern. Neat. Evelyn's, this book here has been one I have used for years, absolutely years. I would say I'm a fangirl of Evelyn's. Oh, neat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what are you working on right now? Currently on my long arm is a a mystery quilt. So we do a a mystery quilt every year for the past six years in February. And so the fabric requirements are the same every single year. It's 24 light 10-inch squares and 24 dark 10-inch squares. So all they have to do is bring a layer cake for the most part, and maybe a couple more, either lights or darks, et cetera. And then they're basic tools. They cut it apart. They sew it back together. They might cut it apart again, but they never know quite what they're doing until we break for lunch. And then once they break for lunch, they get to see the end result. They'll, by that time, have made one or two blocks. So this is in the stupid simple category when I had described laces and my different types of design process. So this is the stupid simple part. Now, the fun part about this stupid simple is that they're usually fast and easy. And they have grabbed the attention of, say, Jenny Doan of Missouri Star. She's promoted two of our stupid simple (laughs) where you take a 10 inch square cut it apart and put it back together so the new mystery one it will be coming out in february etc and so uh, that's what is currently on my long arm we have a new block of the month program that is also launching in january called the quilters therapy and it's about the psychology of color remember i had mentioned that One of my degrees was in the color analysis. Well, part of that is color psychology as far as not how to match colors, but why we're attracted to colors. And usually this is used by marketers or even politicians, and they'll try to use color to sway the masses. And so it's used a lot in advertising. And some of it is emotional. Some of it is subjective. Some of it is is proven. So for example, if you fall asleep in a blue room, you'll fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer in a blue room versus any other color. 
So there are statistics they can prove, but then there are other ones that are still kind of on. It's why they call it a soft science in essence. So this block of the month program works with a color once a month. And then we describe what's going on with that color, et cetera, just for the fun of it. It just adds another dimension to why and how color affects quilters. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and affects the people they give them to. Yes, yeah, they do. Interesting. I want to jump back to your mystery quilt here. Now, is that an in-person class? You mentioned breaking for lunch, or is that online and you break for lunch? Usually, it was an in-person class, and the class would sell out right away, and so we'd have them back-to-back. So during COVID, during 2022 and 2021, we did those classes via Zoom, and it still worked very well. And so that we would work up until, you know, like noon, so we'd 9 to noon, and then we'd stop for lunch and then do a reveal afterwards. So when we run a Zoom class, because there's two of us, Lisa runs all the computer end, and then I've got the three cameras that I will juggle back and forth from, you know, the one over the cutting table or the one at the sewing machine or the one on the design wall. So that's when having your teamwork really makes it so much easier to teach via Zoom. This year, we're going to have an in-person class at In Between Stitches in Livermore, and then on the following next day, we'll have a Zoom class. Oh, neat. I miss our in-person classes. The Zoom workshops are fun because people can interact back and forth, but there's nothing like, you know, oh, wait a minute, your rotary cutter blade is on the wrong side, and that's why you're not getting a good cut. And so, you know, it's set up for a left-handed instead of a right-handed, and you can't do that via Zoom. That's an in-person type of quilt thing, or, you know, you can double-check somebody's quarter-inch seam allowance and find out how they can become a more successful quilter just by seeing how they're quilting. We do miss that part a lot. COVID sucks. Yeah. Share a quilting tip. A quilting tip, especially for new quilters, I would say is to understand you learn in layers. You can't absorb it all at one time. It won't make sense to you. So be nice to yourself. You're not going to be perfect at the beginning. Some people never attain perfection because perfection isn't fun. If somebody wanted perfect, just have a computer do it. So relax. Enjoy the process of learning. Don't be afraid of new techniques. They're not as hard as you think. But mostly, you're going to learn in layers. And you'll learn a little bit more each time. I have not heard that before. So that is really neat. Share the name of your business or businesses and how you came up with those names. So our business is called Material Girlfriends. It's plural. And the reason is, is that while I was learning to quilt in the northern states, Lisa was in the Bay Area with her quilting girlfriends, was also learning to the quilt. So we had three southern material girlfriends. We had three northern material girlfriends. And so we would get together for different quilt shows or shop hops, et cetera, because there's nothing like the Western Washington shop hop when you're in the Washington state area. And so we were material girl friends because there was more of us. Well, the material girl friends, uh, some of us have a hard time following a pattern. So we started changing and altering patterns. Well, the quilt store that Lisa was working at asked if she would start to write some of those patterns. If she would write them, then Melissa would sell them. So she was the quilt store owner. 
in the beginning, in essence, all of us were going to write them. The reality was that Lisa wrote them. (laughs) They say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a quilting village to write a perfect pattern. And so our girlfriends still to this day, they proof and edit and test our patterns thoroughly. In the industry, we have a really good reputation for an error-free pattern, but nobody has any idea how many. We have a good solid 12 proofers that will not only read them, but make them in their own time and as fast as humanly possible. These gals are just, we can't do it without them. Both Lisa and I are slightly dyslexic, so we know we have mistakes in our patterns. And I think because we know we make errors, then we rely heavily on the girlfriends, the material girlfriends. So even though Lisa and I are the ringleader, and I would say right now, Lisa's the main ringleader. I'm more of her support staff than anything. But that's how the name came to be, was it was just our quilting group when we were learning how. And then they still help us. Honestly, we couldn't do it without them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if we've covered this yet, but describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby to making it into a business. There was a t-shirt once that I saw that said, I didn't choose the quilt life. The quilt life chose me. (laughs) (laughs) So when I moved back from Montreal to the Bay Area of California seven years ago, and I was for the first time in a very long time, we were only 30 minutes apart. And so she was working at a quilt store at that time, only part-time, but still writing the patterns in a, a small way was launching Material Girlfriends all on her own. Well, once I moved home, we just linked arms and then she was full steam ahead. And that's when we started speaking, started teaching together. We always thought, oh my goodness, we can never have enough patterns to actually do an entire booth. Well, our first little booth was a 10 by 10. And the biggest complaint was there was not enough space for you to get inside the booth. There was always so many quilters inside the booth, they couldn't get in. And it was like, wow, we got to go bigger. So it just grew so fast. It really did as fast as Lisa could write them and I can sew them and they were tested. We were launching more and more patterns. How fun. Isn't that amazing how it just takes a life of its own? And it's not like one plus one. It was like two to the second power. It just really took off. Mm -hmm. We also sew with our mom. So our mom is turning 80 this year. And when we do a big show, I'll do demonstrations on when and Lisa's always available for questions, et cetera. And mom will run the register. And of course, we all look alike, a lot alike. But the quilters love seeing mom at the register, keeping us both focused because we both squirrel terribly. So we're off on a whole bunch of little tangents. And mom's the ones that claps her hands together. Girls, girls. Let's pull it back together. Let's get this finished. (laughs) Still, she's the one that drives our goals and, you know, keeps us focused on a business straight and narrow. She's definitely the steady rock as we kind of flit and flitter around in our little creative tornadoes. How neat that she can be part of it. My mind's racing with that, but you are just going to be so happy about that in the future. Yeah, we really do enjoy mom. My dad is retired firefighter. He's also turning 80. But I think he also is very much an introvert. And he always enjoys when we take mom away for a four-day weekend because we're doing a show or et cetera. 
he can do whatever he wants anytime, but it's like he can do whatever he wants because mom's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Remember back to how excited were you when you sold your first pattern? Oh, there was a quilt show that was in town and the Northern Material Girlfriends had flown south. The Southern Material Girlfriends were all there. And since the quilt store was overrun in essence by quilters, et cetera, she needed extra help. So I was volunteering at the cutting table. So I was just cutting up yards of fabric. So they were able to move the register and the quilters through faster because they would stop by in the bus loads. And there was a woman who had clutched a pattern to her chest and held a 20 fat quarter bundle of rainbow colored fabrics. And she was so excited. She was so excited. She just found this pattern and this tower of fabrics and she was going to go right home and sew this up. Would you mind just cutting two yards of this? Well, what she was holding was my pattern. It was one of my stupid, simple designs. It was called High Low. My nickname is Low. And so the family always thought it was a good chuckle to say High Low. So she was holding High Low and the rainbow colors, it takes 20 fat quarters, 10 colors. You have a light and a dark of 10 colors. And they're in a rainbow uh, palette. And she was just on cloud nine and she was so happy to have found my pattern. That was my pattern. <laughs> it just made my day. She was just happy as can be. To, and I was thrilled that didn't matter if I was volunteering that day. I felt like I was made a million bucks. <laughs> wow. Now, did she know that you had made nope. that pattern? I had no idea. I told her, of course, and said, oh, well, that one's my pattern. I designed it. And so then she giggled even more, but we were both giggling like schoolgirls together. It was hilarious. <laughs> How exciting that must have been. Yes, it was. It was the first time. I guess you always remember the first time. Mm-hmm. I saw something about Marcus Fabrics. Mm-hmm. Is that you? Yes. Since we have been designing for patterns for quite a few years, Marcus Fabrics designs fabrics or fabric designers, and they also know that quilt patterns sell fabric and fabric sells quilt patterns. They kind of go hand in hand. So we originally started with Marcus Fabrics as pattern designers and then leaned more and more into, hey, we need more. This fabric line's great, but there's no brown. And so after a little while, we were designing our own boutique lines which was a fairly simple selection of colors and dyes and stamps. And our first line of batiks was called Innuendo. And that one's really fun because as a long armor, there are several ones that I drew that you can look at and go, oh, well, that's a modified feather of, oh, that's a curl of, you know, for long army. But our current line that they're just putting the promotional material through right now. I mean, right now, I mean, it just came in yesterday. So it is called Christmas Mischief or uh, Naughty Elves. So the Naughty Elves is a panel and then there's a line of fabric that goes with it. The Naughty Elves started as an idea. I had the idea for the block, I think two years ago. We were closing up the cold store after one of our late classes. Lisa had keys in hand. Come on, let's go. And I was like, wait a minute, I've got an idea. And so I just sketched it out really quick on a paper towel. And then Lisa takes it from there. And really makes it an awesome pattern. So this whole fabric line was an elaboration of this first 12-inch block. And so 
My sister loves applique and just shudders at having to do panels. I like doing panels because it means I can get them on the long arm faster and panels are fun to long arm. So, but it cracks me up that one of her first line art pieces is actually a panel. And that has really given me a good chuckle. (laughs) Not her favorite thing to do. But I'm really excited about this line. Really, really excited. It's so much her style of drawing. You can see her handwriting all over it. And it's my idea that started all it. So it, it is back to that it takes the two of us to be one quilter. So it comes full circle. It really does. Well, there has to be so many steps in manufacturing fabric. I mean, it goes from your design to what before you get the fabric back. For us, and odd as it is, we'll go to the paint store. So we'll go to Home Depot and we'll stand there in the paint selection and pull out color chips. And we'll pull out color chips until we get what we like. Now, Lisa is the graphic artist, so she would have done on the computer the CMI, whatever chips it is. So she's got this little chip thing that she would do with the computer. But they say no, because when they send that overseas to get the batiks dyed, or if they send it to the fabric manufacturer, they need a color chip to go for. And so we use paint chips. Once we select our color chips, then they know what colors they're aiming for. So we've got a another line of fabric that will be released in another six months that is still in the tweaking phase. So the blue came back where, you know, we need a little more magenta added to it. There's not as much contrast in between the two levels of the colors, et cetera, et cetera. All the other nine colors came out great, but it was still missing this 10th one in the blue. So we tweak the colors that way, always referring back to the original chip. Things that are drawn, I'll draw first just the sketch and the idea, then Lisa will quite often digitize that and then tweak it and sharpen it on the computer. Then she's also able to add depth to that. So if I do 1% of the work, honestly, Lisa does 99 because she's the one who really makes it happen. Wow. You know, we always say ideas are free. It's the hard work that makes them into either the fabric or the pattern. (laughs) That is so much. (laughs) Now, what were you guys thinking to think, we need this in fabric. We need to do this. How did that come about? Originally, with the first batik line, the first line was entirely pastels. It was all background fabrics. We love batiks because of the vibrancy of the color and the texture and the depth, etc. But there weren't enough backgrounds. And so we, in essence, designed a whole line of backgrounds tone on tones that were either a light pink and a lighter pink or almost to the rainbow palette again. And then the other two lines after that were to go with block of the month programs, such as Willow Lake, which is a birds and grasses and lakes and ponds, etc. And then we had a line that we actually canceled this last fall. It was for the Quilters Color Therapy, one that is launching now. But it was so close to the Hoffman design, we could not have made it. It was more of a marble. Even their colors were flat on. So I don't know how we worked in tandem on this. But it was like they beat us to the launch. They got their out first. So we went, eh, there is no need to copycat this. We'll just do solids, launch this one, and we've got the next one running. So we've got another Quilter's Personality one. That's the one that's coming now that we're working with the blues. 
So sometimes you get a good idea, you run with it and someone's in there ahead of you. And then other times it's just like, well, it started as an idea for just a 12 inch block, but it's humorous. It's poking fun at, you know, the naughty elf on the shelf. So this panel is very similar to the elf on the shelf where you'll have a simple block, but the two pieces would be turned wrong. Or you've got a naughty elf eating Santa's cookies, or you've got a naughty elf tangling up the Christmas lights. So it's just the naughty elf. And there's a supporting background fabric that has Santa's confidential good list and bad list. So on the good list is every one of our family members, all of my daughters, my sisters, sons, their spouses, etc. So that's on the good list. But on the naughty list, we have the elf names of Jingle, Dingle. <laughs> And then the very end is Papa. <laughs> my dad, if there's going to be a naughty one in the family, that would be my dad. So we have Grandpa and Papa listed on the naughty list because we were sure if they didn't call him a Papa, they called him a Grandpa and they were naughty. <laughs> <laughs> How fun. It's amazing how far down the rabbit hole you can get where it just started as an innocent little hobby. I was just learning how to quilt because my daughters didn't wear fancy smock dresses anymore. And now look what it's turned into. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 20 years, 20 years ago. That's crazy. Where can we find your business? Well, we have an online business, which is at materialgirlfriends.com. This past year, because of COVID, we were working on raising our social media numbers. So we decided we would give away a free pattern to our followers every single month. And so if you follow on the Material Girlfriends page every month, you'll be notified of a free pattern. And sometimes they're small, like a 12-inch block for a holiday themed, or there'll be a table runner, or there'll be a larger project. The projects always vary in techniques because... My sister loves sampler blocks that are truly samplers. So even in her sampler quilts or block of the month quilts, she will do a little bit of applique, a little bit of paper piecing, a little bit of piecework. So it's always a mixture in there. Once a month, there'll be a project that is in that as well. So that's been a lot of new fun this year. Also on there is Material Girlfriends Shop where you can order our patterns. But for the most part, you'll find them in quilt stores. So your local quilt store might be able to carry any Material Girlfriends patterns as well as fabric lines. Neat. You mentioned the Naughty Elves were coming out. Did I see one of those blocks on Facebook already? Yes. So the Naughty Elf idea started out as Christmas mischief and it's just a 12 inch block and it just hangs on a little hanger or it's a wall quilt or been made into pillows. And it was just only ever the one square Samoan star, but a couple of those past square triangles were turned. The elf, and he's laughing. And the elf was like, he was the naughty one who turned him when you weren't looking. I did see that. And it made me stop and really look at it too. So that's great. They're promoting it now. It'll be ready for pre-orders now, but they'll sell it in March for this coming Christmas because everyone starts their Christmas programs in essence in July as far as when those fabric lines come out you're almost a whole year ahead for the next season and so that single block inspired a whole fabric line with Marcus fabric so they were the ones who really asked for it they were like well can we have a panel of this one 
well, this one may be pretty boring. <laughs> we originally thought of doing it with applique pieces because Lisa loves the applique, but there's just too much of a demand for a project like this as a panel. And this panel, we really wanted you to be able to make the pillowcases because there's always the million pillowcase program. And we know that there's a lot of pillowcase that are made for children that are in hospitals at Christmas time. And there's pillowcases that are made for kids away at camp. And so there's just a lot of pillowcases between different guilds and organizations that we thought, you know, we'd like to be a part of that as well. So the panel could be made into a pillowcase as well as a panel quilt, as well as cut up made into a twin size quilt, as well as a whole bunch of other projects, a tree skirt. You know, we've got lots of little Christmas crafts, even a little table runner of a paper pieced elf. So we've got a little fun stuff with that one. That sounds exciting. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. This was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Thank you, Paula. It was nice chatting with you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.